Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Betty Kemp Smith was born on December 15, 1947. At the age of 72, she lived in the 900 block of County Road 158 in Long Branch, Texas, with her husband of 55 years and their son. Sadly, Betty suffered from dementia and on multiple occasions had wandered away from home, only to be found a short time later. Betty loved to spend time outside, so on the evening of June 8, 2020, when her son saw her walk out onto the porch, he didn't think much of it. However, when he went outside to tell her to get ready for bed, he noticed she was gone and had apparently wandered off again. At 11 p.m., the police were called and a silver alert was issued. An extensive search began with volunteers, canine, and helicopters, but no sign of Betty turned up. Unfortunately, there are hundreds of acres of forest around the home, making the search for her even more difficult. Betty was last seen wearing a black, wavy, short-haired wig, ball cap, pastel-colored shirt, white jeans, and black and white tennis shoes. As of October 2023, poor Betty has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Brian Thomas Vargo was born on September 8, 1955. At the age of 20, he lived in an apartment with two roommates at 1201 Tenon Ford Road near Lakeshore Boulevard in East Austin, Texas. He had been a sophomore student at the University of Texas at Austin, majoring in architectural engineering, but on March 9, 1976, he withdrew from the school without telling his family or roommates. A few months later, on July 30, 1975, Brian was arrested for possession of marijuana and served 30 days in jail. After being released, he was put on probation. It's not far-fetched to think that this might have affected him greatly and led to the next series of events. At this point in his life, he was still trying to figure out who he was and decided to go on a self-guided tour of Colorado. He told his roommates that he was going to see a friend they weren't familiar with and left for Colorado during spring break. While in Colorado, his white Mazda RX-2 broke down and he didn't think it was worth the money to fix, so he left it with an unknown mechanic whom he promised to sell it to. He then took a bus to his parents' home in Houston, Texas to obtain the title for the car. His mother and aunt then drove him back to the bus station in Katy, Texas, so that he could head back to Colorado. Before being dropped off, he told his family he had plans to work at a dude ranch after the car was officially sold. I want to mention a couple of things in this case that are unclear. First, his family never saw him with the title to the car and are unsure if he ever found it. All they know is they heard him in his room shuffling through papers. 
Also, when they dropped him off at the bus station, they didn't stick around to see if he actually made it onto a bus. After he was dropped off, his family never saw him again, and he never made it back to the mechanic in Colorado. After spring break, Brian's roommate, Tim Murphy, became worried when he didn't show back up. Also, the mechanic that Brian left his car with contacted Brian's father to inform him he still had the vehicle but wanted to get rid of it. That's when his family learned that Brian was potentially missing. The mechanic also informed them that the car had been broken into. Soon after that, his family learned that he never arrived back at school and they needed to come collect his belongings. When they went to his apartment, they found his wallet and driver's license, suggesting he may have returned at some point. There's also the possibility that the license was old and he was carrying a new one. When his family attempted to file a missing persons report, they were advised against it because he wasn't an adult. Sadly, he wouldn't officially be reported missing until 2021, 45 years after he disappeared. Eventually, his niece, Amanda Vargo Watacomp, got involved in the case and made it her mission to find out what happened to him. She's also the person who reported him missing in 2021. Amanda was able to retrieve a copy of Brian's withdrawal form and discovered that he had plans to return for the summer semester. Records also showed that his grades went from A's to F's prior to his withdrawal. This was strange considering he was very mathematically gifted and excelled in his engineering calculus class during his freshman year. Could his academic decline be the result of his arrest in 1975? Since his disappearance, his mother and sister have both given their DNA and made it accessible to law enforcement. In February 2023, his mother turned 100 years old and is still hopeful for answers in her son's case. However, since his disappearance, there's been no activity on his social security number, but here's an aged photo of what he might look like today. Sadly, as of October 2023, Brian has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Courtney Lynn Clayton was born on October 16, 1980, to parents Stan and Candace. They had moved to Texas from San Diego in 1978 because they wanted a safer environment to raise their children. After moving, they lived in Eastland, Texas until 1984 before relocating an hour away to Stanford. For them, this move was perfect because violent crimes in the area was non-existent and they felt the kids could safely roam the neighborhood. On the night of September 2, 1988, seven-year-old Courtney begged her father to allow her to go to the store located about half a block from her home to purchase a soft drink. Stan agreed and gave her 50 cents. Her older brother Nick was going with her but wasn't ready yet, so Courtney left alone and headed for the M-System food store. Once at the store, she grabbed a drink, but unfortunately, the total came to 54 cents, so a man in line behind her offered to buy the drink for her. However, the cashier told her it was fine and said she could bring the four cents back tomorrow. So she paid for her drink and walked out of the store. As Nick was heading for the store, he bumped into a friend and stopped to chat with him. By the time he reached the corner where he was supposed to meet Courtney, she was nowhere to be found. Assuming she got tired of waiting for him, he continued to the convenience store. 
Once inside, the cashier, who knew the Clayton children, told Nick that Courtney had already purchased her soda and left. Sadly, she would never arrive back home, and Nick had literally missed her by two minutes. When he arrived home and found that Courtney wasn't there, he quickly notified his parents, who knew immediately something was wrong. The sun had quickly set, and her family knew she was very afraid of the dark. So, they rushed to the store to look for her. All they found was a nearly full soda sitting on the back bumper of the owner's truck, but there was no sign of Courtney. Her family called the police and reported her missing. Stan then told investigators that Courtney was an extremely friendly child and would talk with just about anyone, but they were confident she would never willingly get into a car with a stranger. Plus, she had walked to the M-System store on multiple occasions, so they knew she was not simply lost. Investigators then dusted the soda for fingerprints and confirmed it did, in fact, belong to Courtney. By the next morning, she was still missing, and the search efforts ramped up. Police officers went door-to-door in the neighborhood, but found no clues to her whereabouts. Hundreds of volunteers searched the ground while law enforcement took to the skies. All wooded areas within a 20-mile radius of the city were searched, and a large pond in Stamford was dragged. But still, there was no sign of Courtney. On Tuesday night, a tip about a potential sighting of Courtney led deputies to search a home about five miles east of Stamford, but they found nothing to indicate that Courtney had ever been there. Six months later, on Easter Sunday, a hunter came across a human skull in Shackleford County, 50 miles south of Stamford, on a country road between Albany and Moran. He immediately called the police, who scoured the area and found several other bones about 100 yards away from where the skull had been found. Although they would have had to wait for official confirmation, they were confident that the remains belonged to Courtney. Unfortunately, Courtney had never been to the dentist, making the identification process more difficult. She also never had any broken bones or x-rays done. No clothes were found with the remains, but they were able to recover some human hair. Using hair from items inside her home, they were able to positively identify the remains as belonging to Courtney. Investigators sent the skull to the University of North Texas, who used a computer program to make a facial reconstruction. When compared with photographs of Courtney, they were nearly identical. Her parents were then shown the results and agreed it was their daughter. The coroner ruled her death a homicide, even though a cause of death could not be determined. He believed she had been killed and dumped in the Shackleford County field shortly after being abducted. A witness came forward and reported seeing Courtney speaking with a man in the parking lot of the store. She underwent hypnosis and was able to describe the suspect as a dark-complected male in his early 20s. She was also able to describe the vehicle the suspect was driving and said it was parked next to the owner's pickup truck and was possibly a light blue Ford Torino with a white interior. From her description, they were able to develop a composite sketch and release it to the public, along with a description of the car. Multiple tips came in, but it never led to the identification of the car or suspect. In September 1991, authorities questioned two Shackleford County men suspected of trying to lure young boys into their vehicle. Investigators initially thought the men might have been responsible for Courtney's abduction and death, 
since they had once worked on the property where her remains were found. However, they both passed a polygraph and were eventually ruled out as suspects. To this day, no other suspects have ever been named. This next part is very interesting. If you put the photo of the suspect next to a photo of the store's owner, they look almost identical. It's also of note that he lived in Moran where Courtney's body was found. Sadly, as of 2023, no one has ever been arrested and this case remains unsolved. Six-year-old Noel Rodriguez Alvarez lived in the 3700 block of Wisteria Drive in Evermont, Texas with his mother, stepfather, four biological siblings, and twin half-siblings. Sadly, Noel was born with multiple disabilities, including speech delay, chronic lung disease, and esotropia, which means a person's eyes turn inward toward their nose. On March 20, 2023, Child Protective investigators notified the police after it was brought to their attention that Noel had not been seen in a few months. When officers arrived at the home, his mother, Cindy Rodriguez Singh, told officers that Noel was living with his biological father in Mexico and hadn't been there since November. They would soon learn that Cindy told others varying stories about Noel's whereabouts. Some people were told he was living with his aunt in Mexico, while others were told she sold him to a woman in a grocery store parking lot. Investigators looked into each of these stories and determined they were likely false. Five days later, on March 25th, authorities issued an Amber Alert. That same day, Noel's family boarded a Turkish Airlines flight to Istanbul. Investigators found the timing very suspicious and quickly changed the Amber Alert to an endangered missing persons alert. The family's final destination was India, where Noel's stepfather, Arshdeep Singh, was from. After tracking down Noel's biological father in Mexico, they determined he was deported before Noel was born and had never even met him. The last time Noel was seen in public was in October of 2022 when Cindy gave birth to twins. However, the owner of the family's home told police he had actually seen him on Thanksgiving Day 2022. Relatives would eventually come forward and tell police about the abuse Noel suffered at the hands of Cindy. They even witnessed her say that Noel was evil and possessed with a demon inside him and she feared he would hurt the newborn twins. In November 2022, Cindy applied for passports for herself and six of her children, but not one for Noel. Arshdeep then stole $10,000 in cash from his employer to pay for their plane tickets to India. Clearly, they planned to never return. After they fled, the police searched the property and found that the family was living in filth in a shed in the backyard. Inside, there were piles of clothes and junk and even a homemade altar. They also found that Cindy paid to have a new concrete patio poured on the property right around the time they fled the country. After removing the concrete slab, the dogs were alerted to the presence of remains. However, no physical evidence or remains were ever found, and investigators believe Noel was dumped elsewhere and the new concrete poured to hide evidence. Police are now working with federal authorities to have Noel's mother and stepfather extradited back to the U.S., but as of today, the family remains in India. 
In the meanwhile, the search continues for Noel, who they now believe is deceased, and since his disappearance, they've covered over 500 acres of land. The city of Everman named a new playground at Clyde Pittman Park after Noel. The playground has special equipment meant for children with disabilities like Noel and will also include the installation of a memorial plaque detailing his story. Sadly, as of 2023, Noel has never been found and this case remains unsolved. William Arlen Bynum was born on March 12, 1963 and went by Arlen. At the age of 40, Arlen was working as a bartender with the Big Spring Fraternal Order of Elks. He belonged to a local motorcycle club, and in his spare time, he loved to ride his Harley-Davidson. Those who knew him described him as cheerful, outgoing, and very trustworthy. He never married and had no children, but was close to his father, stepmother, and siblings, and spoke with them several times a week. On August 14, 2003, Arlen hung out with a couple of friends at the San Francisco Bar and Grill at 3rd Street and Ronald Street in downtown Big Spring, Texas. At 2 a.m., he left the bar with an unknown man and was never seen again. He was supposed to meet with his brother-in-law for lunch later that day, but never showed up. Friends and family went looking for him and checked the San Franciscan Bar and Grill where he was last seen. Two days later, they found his truck parked across the street from the bar, still in the same spot he left it. At that point, they reported him missing. Many rumors began circulating about his disappearance, such as his body being put in an abandoned oil, gas, or water well somewhere in Howard County. However, the police could never substantiate those claims. Texas Rangers even got involved and searched several tank batteries in one water well but found nothing. Since disappearing, he hasn't used his cell phone or credit cards or withdrawn any money from his bank account. The Midland forensic team was brought in to check Arlen's apartment and truck. However, the evidence collected was compromised at a local lab and deemed unusable. In 2003, homosexuality wasn't as accepted as it is today, and his mother, 83-year-old Deanna Hartford, believes that's what led to his disappearance. She said he always felt ashamed of his sexuality. Sadly, in an attempt to be accepted and make friends, Arlen was known to party and do drugs at times. His sister wonders if he owed somebody drug money and couldn't pay. At this point in the case, Detective Jim Ryder has questioned over 100 people, but it hasn't led to Arlen's whereabouts. Two persons of interest agreed to take polygraphs and both failed. Investigators now believe the two men were either directly involved or know what happened to Arlen and are just too scared to tell the truth. In June 2008, authorities raided a farmhouse north of Big Spring that allegedly turned up illegal weapons but found no signs of Arlen. Strangely, on May 15, 2008, a court-ordered death certificate was created and listed an actual date and cause of death. Does that mean investigators know what happened to Arlen but are still keeping it a secret? The cause of death is listed as blunt force trauma, and the date of death is listed as August 12th, while the date of injury is listed as August 15th. You would think if they weren't sure, they would just put unknown. 
Sadly, as of 2023, Arlen has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.